you really do. You have to make sure that you're pulling on those levers to make yourself as competitive as you can be with the rules that exist today with an eye on what the future could bring, but you've got to be able to prepare the game with the rules that currently exist. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Charlie Bactel, founder and CEO of Cresco Labs. Charlie, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well today. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to have you here. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Really excited to talk to Charlie. For those of you who don't know, I'm a huge tech and science nerd. And uh, Cresco Labs, I feel like, has always been on the forefront of innovation, especially in the cannabinoid space. I mean, I remember reading their patents back when I was an operator um, and consulting. So uh, just really excited to talk to, to Charlie today, digging the Cresco Additionally, uh, I think there is some West Coast alignment here. We both maybe have an Arizona history, so very excited to share that. Uh, how are you doing today, Brian? Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad, Kellen, you set that up. But just to clarify, we know Charlie grew up in Arizona, but of course, with his operations closer to the East Coast, I didn't know if maybe his loyalty could be a little more mixed. So, Charlie, we got a little East Coast, West Coast battle. So if you had to choose, which one are you choosing? Yeah, I had, to cl- I had to clarify this. It's uh, I, I bleed Arizona. You know, not only did I grow up there, went to undergrad at University of Arizona, going back there for Christmas. My parents still live there. So, yeah, I, I have an affinity for out west. Let the record reflect. Let the record reflect. So, so Charlie, before we dive in, we'd love to give your list to give our listeners a little difference in background between, you know, what makes Cresco Labs more unique than some of the MSOs that they may be more familiar with. I think. Uh, We've always had a focus on the consumer product side of the category, going back to the earliest days of evaluating the space. And I I know that that doesn't sound like a point of distinction uh, today because everybody talks about it. But I think when it's authentically part of your DNA, when it's part of the foundation and and really kind of the mission, how you built the company, I, I think the data supports there being a point of differentiation there. You know, we we take pride in having you know, the highest market share in states like Illinois, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. From a branded product portfolio standpoint, we we take pride in having, you know, the number one branded product portfolio in the country. So that's one of the things uh, that has always been at the forefront of of Cresco's approach to the marketplace. And then, of course, you know, firmly rooted in in helping cannabis develop into a, a normalized, professionalized industry. Um, and for us, that's a big emphasis on government affairs, um, both at the local and state levels, and of course, at the federal level too. It's I think, if anything, the last year has showed this sector that um, some form of federal reform is gonna be required in order for the sector to be valued at what the sector should be valued at. And, and so from a standpoint of how to create value for shareholders. It's a, it's a big part of the way that Cresco has always approached the industry and always will be. Kind of taking it one step further from an infrastructure standpoint, we've seen the emphasis on wholesale and then a focus on retail. Does the data align give you let's say, visibility into trends kind of before they happen? Focus on data has been at the forefront for us for the last three, four years. A, a lot of emphasis on the tech side of it. You know, we have our own proprietary system at retail. Um, and we use the retail data now from 70 stores that we have across the country or 70 sunny sides, 70 or 71. We're 70. Yeah, 70 still. We use that data heavily and um, to know your consumer. And so that data feeds what we do on the product side, on the brand side. 
and also tells us how we're competing in the marketplace. So yeah, focus on data has been been really key to the way that we've been approaching the market and the way we see our position in it. And uh, I think that'll be that'll be normal uh, as this industry continues to mature and develop. How much can you use the data from, say, the Illinois market when you're looking to make decisions in, say, like a Michigan or, or an Ohio or even a new state that you haven't even been in yet? Like, is it like comparing apples to apples or is there like kind of some things that you guys have to like change in terms of the lens that you're looking at that information through? They're, they're data points for sure, but each one of these markets is different. Uh, you know, I was having this conversation the other day. Topic of what we were discussing was a little bit different. It was how do you see federal reform like really kind of coming together? And and the point that I made was like, look, you have to acknowledge that states feel differently about this. Consumers in different markets feel slightly different, but um, you know, there's 40 states now that have a robust medical or adult use program, and not one of them is exactly the same. So the consumers tend to look and feel and like and want similar things from market to market, but the market structures themselves are going to make certain approaches to the market more viable than others. The nuances of regulatory structure has to be fed into it too. So maybe a little bit different than traditional CPG where there might not be as much of an emphasis on the local regulatory components that has to come into it. Uh, also, but yeah, we we get great intel from a state like Illinois on what consumers like, what they're responding to, both from like product formulation standpoints, but even in how we approach that consumer through our you know our e-commerce platform for Sunnyside, and what sorts of promotions do they respond to? What drives tickets? What drives visits? All of that gets aggregated, and we we try to use the data as as well as we can across the footprint with nuances uh, state to state. There has to be a ton of that data that is very accurate and very confident in it, but there's got to be like a prediction element to it where you're unsure. And that's kind of where the, the best guess is. So are there any experiences or scenarios or kind of things that come to mind when you're thinking about decision-making with the data and saying, okay, we feel confident about the 60% of this information, but this 40% is kind of gray. We're going to lean right and left. Can you give us anything to come to mind uh, with that scenario? I've learned a lot of lessons in the space. Like any, I think any entrepreneur in an emerging industry, you're going to you're going to stub your toe, you're going to have foot faults. You try to mitigate them and minimize them as much as you can and you try to make sure that you only learn them once. I was actually just out in in Ohio last week and that was part of the conversation we were having with the local team was like, "Look, we we've, we've been through a few of these now." So, we've learned a lot of lessons from getting things almost right and totally wrong. And the the it's okay to get things wrong. We just don't want to relearn the same lesson twice. So that's what we're going to try to do here is we were trying to make them comfortable, letting them know like there is no straight line in how these markets develop or transition from from medical to adult use. There's there's going to curves and, and roadblocks and all of it. And that's all okay. We just don't want to have to learn the same lessons twice. Let's let's incorporate what we've seen before and what we do going forward. So on this journey, um, you have kind of taken different approaches in different states, right? Some states, you, like Illinois, you guys have beautiful manufacturing facilities, right? I think we were talking about it uh, before we jumped on the show. Um, and then some states, you guys are, are wholesale and retail. Can you kind of talk us through strategically why you've approached uh, different states that way? Is it kind of maybe in preparation for federal legalization? Or is it more or less uh, kind of you're just trying to fit into the regulatory environment of that state to be mo most successful? 
I think the latter is, it, it really, it, it's probably both, it both come together in that way. But I, I think if you take a step back and go, even go back to the the very, very early days of Cresco, the, the main reason that we focused on the branded product side was if you take this thesis out for a good period of time, we think in the long, in the long term, cannabis does look and feel like traditional CPG and in traditional CPG brands, brands matter. And brands are where a lot of value can get created. Um, you'll have specialization on the production side, on the distribution side, but brands brands matter a lot. So, if we just simplify it and say, like in the long term, we think branded products are are the focus. That's our kind of north star, and that's where we want to make sure we're applying the correct amount of resources and focus to drive the the long term shareholder value. In the interim, you have to play the game with the rules that exist, and so finding the right levers to pull on in each state based on the regulatory structure, based on how many licenses they allow on the production side versus the retail side or, or otherwise, that figuring out the best combination for that set of rules is what we've been really focused on. Uh, I would say truly emphasizing for the last 18 months or so, That's that's been the core focus of, of us from an operational standpoint, how to pull on those right levers to get the right mix based on the structure that exists for each state. I think that's perfectly said, but I just want to just push on to that a little bit because that is not easy at all, right? There are no exact right answers. There are multiple feelings and perspectives given geographic relationships, cost for infrastructure relationships. So is that kind of the the benefits of asset-like partnerships and kind of integrating into that geographical uh, portfolio you're describing is like having a central HQ and then understanding, okay, if this scenario goes right, we have assets here that we can utilize and then kind of expand on. Is that kind of the formulation in the boardroom that's going on internally when making those type of decisions? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And it's the benefit of having built the muscles in those different categories too. So you know, coming in focused heavily on branded product and not on retail, while that might be the right long-term strategy, that also may not be a viable strategy for the interim period. And and who knows how long this interim period lasts. So, you know, we recognized that, you know, probably four, four years plus ago and really started to get into the retail side of it. And then not only bring, you know, sort of a retail assets into the fold, but the retail capabilities. And I start I started, I think I've said this probably back in 21. It was like instead of being a company that has retail, we we really became a retailer. And I I still feel that that's that's what we've tried to do. We are a retailer, we are a distributor, we are a, a producer and a manufacturer. Um, and so having the muscles in those those various disciplines allow us to pick and choose, and again, pull on the right levers based on the market dynamics that we see in each market as we go forward. So it could be asset heavy, full vertical, every type of license maxed out big production facilities, or it could be an asset light approach and somewhere in between based on what that market is telling us will be successful in that market. Are there certain brands that your team favors when you go into like a new market and you're like, hey, this is our tried and true new market brand and this is what we always launch there or is it kind of like you uh mix in some of the data associated with that that state or that new market kind of talk us through like how you guys choose what brands to, to take to the new markets sure yeah so i think the easiest example of that is uh one of our original brands is remedy which is a very uh medicinal focused uh brand even in we used to call it clinically uh boring but it was it was it was in, intentional, right? It was fairly white packaging with not a lot of frills on it. It was very clean, 
because it was appealing to a certain consumer that wanted something that would look at home on the shelves at CVS or a Walgreens, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, like a high supply brand or or a Floracal brand, uh, which is sort of a connoisseur leaning uh, line to our, you know, wonder is our kind of fun Friday in Vegas. And so we, we've definitely developed brands that not only approach different consumer bases, different consumer audiences very directly, very appropriately. And you could you could extend that out to what type of market is there, what type of consumer bases in that market will help inform what brands we want to launch with in a new market, whether it's on one extreme remedy or on the other extreme Floracal. I can imagine with the data as a retailer, it's probably pretty clear what the data is telling you, what might be an opportunity for Cresco to, to move into a certain market and say, okay, this we think this product category has big upside. And given what we've seen from some of the data standpoint, we think this might be a product worth bringing to market. Yeah, certainly it's directional for sure. I don't know if it's always right, but it's direct, it's always directional and um and helpful. And then again, you just you learn from the experiences of what a consumer base looked like at the um, you know, as a mature medical market, what it looks like as an as a early days of adult use, and then what it looks like in a more mature adult use uh, profile. And all three of those are different. What's the the law of averages in terms of bringing uh, a brand to market successfully in the cannabis industry? Is it like one in every five? Like what's the, the, the numbers there? I don't know if I have <laughs> perfect data for you on that, but um, yeah, it's, it's more challenging than it is easy. I would, I would say that. It's a good answer. <laughs> So rescheduling seems to be a major callus on the horizon, maybe sooner rather than later. What specifically does rescheduling do for Cresco's business? Primarily, it is the, the economics of rescheduling, right? We've been spending a lot of time over the years thinking about how you mitigate the impact of, of uh, IRC 280E, right? The draconian um, tax consequences of being a Schedule 1 or a Schedule 2. And I can tell you, I, I don't know that if I go back three years, two years, I don't think getting it rescheduled was the was the clearest path to mitigating the impact of 280E. But I think it's presenting itself as the as the most likely and um, and maybe most near term opportunity to get out from underneath the the blanket of of 280e that's for cresco as a as a company um that would be the, the largest impact i think for cannabis in general it's something at a federal level it is some level of federal reform and while there's a there's a totally valid debate on whether or not it's sufficient or the right way to go about it i think everybody has to acknowledge that that if it happens it's the it's the first thing that we will have seen unless something jumps in front of it it's going to be the first it's the first example of federal reform that that we've seen in in uh generations and that's big uh and and usually i i don't put it this way i don't think it'll be the last right it allows for research to be done at a incredibly like infinitely simpler way of of getting research done on it and Data is helpful. As helpful as it is for me in running my business, data is helpful for legislators to make uh, decisions also. So I think the impact, the longer term impact of rescheduling is it's, it puts you on a path to broader federal reforms. And in the long term, the economic impact of that will dwarf the impact of 280E relief. But in the immediate 
uh, sends 280 relief will be very, very welcomed and impactful. Are there scenarios internally that you've discussed where if this does happen, we're going to invest the capital that normally goes towards this into, let's say, growth in new markets or fortifying existing markets? Yeah, there's there's definitely discussions uh, around what to what to do if that happens. I can tell you it's it's secondary to developing that 2024 plan that does not include it. Uh, you, if anything, you know, again, we've learned over the last couple of years is you you can't uh, handicap federal reform. It's difficult. So does federal reform automatically mean that, uh, say, let's just, I know it's more complicated than that. So let's just say rescheduling happens. Can you as an organization immediately start taking material from your Illinois manufacturing facility and selling it in a Michigan marketplace, for instance? Is that something that happens? So no. What I, would yeah, be the, I, could you walk our listeners, listeners through a scenario where that's actually possible then? Where that's possible, you would need something passed that would would allow for interstate commerce. And I guess in in theory, a Schedule Three designation could allow if the operator and the products went through the traditional FDA channels and complied with all of the requirements and obligations of producing and distributing a Schedule Three uh, substance. In theory, uh, interstate commerce. Just to kind of guess, correct my statement, interstate commerce could. Uh, be created if you followed the FDA channels for producing and selling a Schedule Three. But just in reality, to the listeners, none of the state programs that that our businesses currently operate in uh, would comply with the FDA approach to producing and distributing a Schedule Three substance. So, effectively, we're we're, we're still just right now we violate uh, federal law in producing and selling Schedule Ones. We will do the exact same thing and violating federal law and producing and distributing Schedule Three substances if rescheduling happens in the near term. I read you reference 2023 is the year of the core strategy. What is 2024? Yeah, we haven't unveiled 2024 yet, but I can tell you with the success that we've we've had and we've created in 2023, I think you can see some some sort of an extension of the approach in 24, you know, sort of maximizing what we've been able to start in 23 and continue to lean into it in 24. Creating the healthiest Cresco Labs possible is is how we create the strongest and most valuable Cresco Labs possible too. So, you know, it's, it's important for us internally to remind ourselves where I think in years past, as we have thought about the, the macro uh, placement of, of where cannabis as a sector is, I, I I personally have said in the past, like, hey, cannabis isn't going to wait for you. Like, we we got to move, we got to do it, we got to create it, we got to go. And I think what we are we we're seeing as the macroeconomic environment and the sector kind of converge here is you have to be urgently patient and you have to do the things that you need to do to make sure that you've got a strong, viable company, no matter which way the winds blow. And uh, you'll continue to see that from us as we we come into 2024 also. And by no means does that mean we take our eye off off growth. We like the growth that's in our footprint. You know, we're staring at Ohio, Florida and Pennsylvania as growth catalysts for us. And then we also, of course, have one eye that's always observing what's going on in other states. And if those are markets that we want to be in and the right opportunity presents itself, we wouldn't hesitate to capitalize on opportunities like that, too. 
How much time do you guys spend actively preparing your business for federal legalization based on the conversations you you hear on the Hill? I know that it's been like this kind of like boy that cries wolf kind of situation with state banking, a lot of the other items. So like an organization, like you guys can't get whiplash all the time. So how do you kind of like balance the rhetoric from those conversations, I guess you could say? Yeah, you 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 do in the, in the same way that you just internally personally have to balance it too. You you do you 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 can't you can't build a plan that that includes you know the expectation of something happening at a federal level. Just in the same way that you you really you have to be very diligent and not allowing yourself to do that at a state level too. That's that's what I think twenty two and twenty three have shown us also is it's not just at a federal level like you know, we're supposed to be selling adult use cannabis in Virginia on January 1st until we're, we weren't. Um, and New York, um, you know, the, the, the way that New York has, has uh, transitioned from medical to adult use, I don't, I don't know that anybody could have drawn it up uh, this way if you, if you go back in time a couple of years. So you really do, you have to make sure that you're pulling on those levers to make yourself as competitive as you can be with the rules that exist today with an eye on what the future could bring, but you've got to be able to prepare the game with the rules that currently exist. It's all you can really count on. Is there a market that you're more excited or interested in than, than say the others between Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, and New York in there? Just uh... They all have their pros. And I wouldn't, I don't know that I would consider that transition a con in any respect. Look, Florida- that Brian needed to hear that. I, that's, that's good for Brian. <laughs> from, an, from an absolute size standpoint, you know, I think Florida could be really impressive, but you still also need legislation to be passed before you could get there, right? So that still has a hurdle to cross. Pennsylvania, you know, we have really large position in Pennsylvania and in market leadership. And, and so a transition from medical to adult use would be a really great opportunity for Cresco. Of course, you still have the legislative hurdle to cross in Pennsylvania too. So then you look at Ohio and the legislative hurdle has been crossed. So now you can start preparing yourself for what adult use looks like. And not only do I think Cresco has an opportunity to improve our position just to sort of get our standard positioning in the market on the retail side, I do think, I think we have, the data is tough on the retail side, but I think we have either the, the largest market share from retail sales or we're, we're definitely in the top tier from a retailer's perspective, but not necessarily on the production side. So not only do we have an opportunity to get up to our standard as we make some investments and improve what's going on there, but the market itself, the delta between what it, what it is as a medical program and what it will be as an adult use program, I think is the biggest delta of those three just on a percentage basis. So that's a really nice growth opportunity for the market and for Cresco in that market and regulatory or legislative hurdle crossed. So if I was going to say which I was most excited about, I take bird in hand that has the greatest upside for both us as an individual operator and the market itself. That's a that's a great win. That was well played. So when we were doing our due diligence on Cresco Labs, we spoke to many people who have experience working with your team and some people inside your team, and they all talked about the importance on data and the the growth towards the technology internally that your team really invested in in order to make better decisions. I just want you to speak kind of briefly on that. What was the origin of that? Why was such a key factor when building out Cresco Labs? And, and kind of just give some more context to our listeners who might not be so familiar with what we're referring to. A lot of things uh, come into it. You know, from for me personally, maybe it's like curse of a legal background. Like I, I like to 
flesh things out and I try to get it, you know, the right amount of data uh, before a decision gets made. Uh, argument could be made that sometimes I wait a little too long and I need too much, but I've, I've worked on that over the years. Uh, and then I, I think you know, we've, we've brought some really experienced professionals into the organization over the years that came from traditional CPG that are used to making database decisions. And so the um, the expectation was was that we need to get there or, you know, making decisions in the dark, flying blind, taking guesses is not not something that has meshed with any anything that I've, I've mentioned so far from like a personal approach. And then, you know, credit to the to the tech leadership that we have in this organization. Um, you, you, you might be able to argue the 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 best mix of industry experience and cultural engagement matched up with professional capabilities. It, 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 we've got phenomenal, not only leadership, but in the senior leadership within the tech side of our business has been around cannabis for a long time in traditional markets. And they're just, their skill sets on the tech side are best in class. So it's a great, it's a great resource and, and uh, asset to have on your team. We're, we're very fortunate. What was it like melding those two cultures, especially like in the early days, 10 years ago, you're getting a bunch of tech guys together and some guys that have been growing cannabis and legacy market. And you're kind of like, hey, guys, we're going to do this. Like, talk us about building the culture in those early days and, and leading to, to where you guys are now. So I think that, the, hey, look, it's it's uh, it's uh, it still continues to be an evolution. And, and just like we were saying about like the approach to each of these markets, the, you, you're never going to it's never perfect. but we, I think one thing that was very, very helpful was the way that Cresco was formed in the first place was to be a stakeholder focused organization that really cared about helping this industry to develop. Like I can, I can tell I did, I did not get into cannabis to sell weed. I got into cannabis to help develop what I thought could be one of the most impactful industries that this country has seen in generations. Right. That's that's why I got I got into cannabis. And so actually, I teach a course. I'm an adjunct at uh, Northwestern Law School. I teach this course every year that uh, goes over the the dynamics and the legal and regulatory issues in the emerging cannabis industry. And uh, a couple of things that it's part of the entrepreneurship clinic over there. And what I say before a class every year is um, what I've seen from successful uh, entrepreneurial endeavors is when you want to be an entrepreneur, you need two things. One, you need to be able to spot the opportunity. If you can't see it, you're, you're never going to be able to pursue it. But the second thing is you have to figure out what you can bring to that opportunity to help the opportunity achieve its potential. When those two things get married, I've seen very successful entrepreneurial endeavors come out of it. And I, I do feel like that's what Cresco has done from the very beginning. I think that's what I saw with, with cannabis was you know, with my experience in the legal and regulatory side in the banking space, I, I saw what happened when an industry went through an absolute total regulatory overhaul following the, the mortgage meltdown and the, the, the Great Recession in 2008. I knew I could bring that experience to cannabis as it was about to go on its journey from relatively unregulated to very regulated on a state by state by state structure with this sort of negative stigma that needed to be addressed in order to create positive change. I think that's what the the other professionals that I mentioned that were coming into this, they saw an opportunity where they could take their professional backgrounds and bring it to this this great 
opportunity to help develop a, a normalized, professionalized industry around cannabis. So, uh, and even the legacy culture uh, people, when when you're talking about like where you want cannabis to get to, we all want cannabis to be legal at a federal level. But I think everybody that's part of the Cresco family recognize that the only way that it gets there is it it has to be more normalized than it historically has been. Like you just can't go from 2013 to federal legalization. Won't ha- it, it wasn't going to happen. It hadn't happened in 40, 50 years of efforts before that. You had to develop a, a normalized industry where people, the naysayers really could see it and say, well, okay, I could see you wrapped your arms around it. You were able to, you were able to control it. It wasn't what I feared it was going to be. The sky didn't fall. This is okay, medical, right? And then that allows you to have the adult use conversation. And now you have the adult use conversation and the sky doesn't fall, which allows you to make that incremental progress. I think because that's how Cresco approached the industry, I think that's how we were able to bring together cultures, um, you know, whether it's legacy culture or never tried cannabis before, but looked at this as an incredible social change agent and wanted to be a part of it and could bring what their professional background could help to, you know, cannabis to achieve cannabis's potential. I think that's been our focus from the beginning. And I think that helps bring those cultures together. Thank you. Does the data sets that your team has internally help with conversations with lawmakers, with policymakers, just demonstrating to them like here, this is where we were five years ago. This is where we currently are today. Do you use that information in in those conversations? Absolutely. And it's one of the things that it's been the challenge and now the opportunity with cannabis is, you know, data wasn't available uh, in the early days. (laughs) So there was none. Uh, And then every year that goes by, we get that much more data, right? And and even if you're thinking about the conversation that's happening in D.C. right now, as it relates to uh, the more progressive view of of uh, sort of the social impact and social responsibility that cannabis has to shoulder as as we think about reform versus the, you know, the concerns of maybe a more conservative viewpoint. But the one thing that that conservative viewpoint can can wrap their heads around is public safety and and data is how you bring both of those perspectives together to show, hey, look, a responsible, respectable, and resourced state legal cannabis industry is how you can achieve both of those. Um, But without it, if it doesn't have the resources that it needs and it's taxed at whatever crazy effective tax rate any of us have because of 280E, just know you're not going to get any of it. You're not going to get a diverse and inclusive regulated industry that develops just in the same way that you're not going to get uh, the public safety that you would get because the illicit market or the the sort of the alternative approach to intoxicating cannabinoids is just going to flood the unregulated parts. So it, it, data is the is the basis on all of those conversations. Yeah, and I mean, like we're almost reaching a critical point within the industry where if you don't start to like loosen the chain on all these legal MSOs, you're just going to continue to provide more opportunity for the illicit market to continue being the illicit market. You know what I mean? And in New York, perfect case in case in point right there. I mean, it's not very easy to run a licensed retail location in Manhattan right now from a competitive standpoint, you know? So like I use New York as the example in conversations on both sides of the aisle, right? Because you look at it as a, as a very progressive approach to cannabis that was well-intended from a social equity standpoint, no doubt about it not successful currently in achieving those goals. Um, You can also look at it as a giant public safety risk where you have 1,400-ish illegal dispensaries that popped up that were 
uh, armed robberies, 598 of them in the last 12 months, right? So, I mean, like, no matter how you're viewing it, you could look at New York and go, well, okay, that's what happens when the regulated approach to cannabis doesn't have the resources it needs to achieve whatever objective you want out of it. If it's not resourced, it, it won't achieve the, 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 uh, the desired outcomes. The best part about New York is we have the opportunity to improve in the future because you're right. We uh, no doubt we came at this one way and, you know, it maybe didn't work out the way we had originally hoped. So staying with the date. Sorry, continue. Yeah, ba ba balance. What I what I've sort of gathered over the years is is ba a balanced approach is uh, is going to be needed for cannabis to make progress. I think if you're in the 10 percent extreme over here, the 10 percent extreme over here the the market won't function it'll it'll create that sort of gridlock and it won't move forward so staying with the data approach do you believe that cresco labs internal data program is best in class and one that you think is a big separator between let's say you and some of the other tier one peers i do again only because one there are there aren't many peers that you have to look at so i mean the 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 data set is is fairly limited and and we kind of all know what what each other are doing and and look, you, you can make an argument that we've made investments here. Others haven't burdened themselves with making that investment. And they that's allowed them to do other things. So, but if I take a long-term view, I, I would rather have um the information and the systems that we've built, because I think those those can add some compounding value um pretty significantly over the coming years that could could really create some separation between you know having it versus not having it. Briefly, I just want you to, I don't think you did enough justice to the investments that Cresco has actually made, right? This wasn't like you guys went out and invested in an existing software platform and just got user memberships for everyone on your team, right? Like you, you're, you're talking like building systems that are existing in other industries, but from the ground up, correct? Yeah, correct. Especially on the the retail e-commerce platform is is just really unique, um, super functional, and and very valuable in the decision making that goes through the rest of the organization too, not just on the retail side. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's um, has that been fun? Huh? Has it been fun to kind of like put put your tech hat on when you're developing the software and then be able to pull it off and be like, okay. We're going to talk about cannabis now and get into like the different miners and then go back and forth. Has that been like a fun little change of pace, if you will? <laughs> I'll tell you again that it's where we're very fortunate to have the team that we have that's behind this, and and not only just on the tech side, because again, they're they're arguably the the more traditional cannabis culture that you'll see in our organization also lives in that in that tech area. So it's great to have that all under one roof and one hat. But then that the cross functional collaboration between that team and the rest of the business, that team also is is probably as integrated with the retail, the production, um, commercial and brand side of the business as as any other uh, department is so it we're just we're fortunate to have that dynamic kind of be natural and and the way that cresco evolved as opposed to trying to make it happen that would be that would be tough but we're we're fortunate one of the the topics we really want to touch on the near and dear to kellen i's heart is the investment in automation mentioned specifically in your q3 investor deck could you elaborate on how these technology advancements are specifically aimed at optimizing manufacturing costs and improving gross margins. So it's it's a really broad it's a broad category, you know, in the in the traditional sense of like thinking about a pack out line or something. Sure, it it includes that, but 
it, there's also this connectivity between, if, even if you think about it from a cultivation standpoint and crop steering and using technology and the ability to, to do very strategic and specific dosing with, again, the data that we've been able to collect to really create you know, I, I think if, if I would go back three, four years, you know, we're able to do things with the plants that I think three, four years ago, people thought were beyond the capabilities of the plant. So it, it's it, the this, this systems that run that and, and kind of create the data that allow us to make these decisions and then implement it in a, in a repeatable, controlled way. I think is, is when we're talking about automation, it's, even, it's broader than just a pack outline. Um, but of course, the pack outlines and and when you do get scale and and when you that's one of the reasons like focusing on year of the core, focusing on those core markets where we have created that scale, we need to lean into it. Uh, and we we've got to make sure that we're not, you know, losing focus or diluting our resource base too much by things that aren't going to be main drivers of the business over the coming two, three years. And of course, that presents difficult decisions that have to get made, but you got to make them. Um, and that allows us to allocate those resources to things like automation that can bring down, you know, the cost of goods sold on the production side. And also, again, they, they, they now that talks that they talk to each other. Right. So that's it, it's part of the connectivity that automation allows for greater connectivity between the production side of the business, the retail side of the business, commercial side. Now they function as like the business as opposed to these these disparate units that that um, that used to be more of the. I guess traditional way that companies like this work. Uh, it's very unique, though, to have a, a company or an industry that where you literally you you plant the seed, you harvest it, you package it, you you carry retail too, and you sell your products in it, and you sell your competitors' products, and they sell your products. Like that's not normal. Um, it's it's unique, and it's helpful that usually the same seed always makes the exact same plant. Right. And Always identical, right? Um, <laughs> so, how much has automation assisted your guys's organization in terms of stabilizing specific like flowers that are designated for your guys's brand portfolios? Has it has it played a large role in creating just consistent products for the different branded flowers and those kind of things in terms of strains and being able to maintain the the odor and that kind of characteristics of of the products? It has it. What I what I would say is it's just it. The systems and that technology have allowed us to become a lot smarter. Like it's where it's where we've wanted to. It's where we've wanted to get to, and it's where we want to continue to 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 um, to to get smarter. But those systems and that automation and that feeding and the data that it's giving back to us allows us to, I guess, reduce the aperture on what the possible outcome from that from that harvest is going to be yeah. it's it's a lot more forecastable than it than it historically has been that was really well articulated giant yeah that's a that's a giant advantage yeah absolutely let's slightly switch gears and do a quick rapid fire okay true or false doing regulation well is a business model it is yes yeah, true a life-changing book uh the obstacle is the way was a phenomenal book for me i also like trailblazers from mark benioff Cannabis beverage, yay or nay? Yay in the future. What outside company are you drawing inspiration from when building Cresco? Oh, great question. I, I, I maybe I have to give it to Salesforce uh, again, it, based on their their philosophy that corporations can be the the largest uh, positive change agent if they want to be. 
under the radar state you think most are sleeping on? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I don't know if anybody's sleeping on Ohio anymore. So that would have been my answer two months ago. Maybe what happened? Florida? Yeah. Wow. It could be really, really big. It's numbers look massive. What happens first? Bears win the Super Bowl or cannabis is federally legalized? <laughs> That's personal. Um, Not fair. Geez, cannabis gets federally legalized. What's something that you truly believe in that most people disagree with you? But I love that I couldn't have a wrong answer in, in that uh, last question. Say you, win either, you win either way. <laughs> I win either way. <laughs> What's something that you truly believe in that most people disagree with you? Shoot, great question. I want to skip that and come back to it. Dream smoking session, three people dead or alive. Look, I would throw I would throw Bob in there, Marley. Um, I would throw Bob Marley in there. I'd love to smoke a joint with uh, uh, Representative Dave Joyce. I think that would be that'd be super interesting. And then interesting enough, uh, you know, my stepdad uh, will always be in that circle. What question do you wish more investors asked you? I feel like they ask me every question under the sun. Most bullish product category growth over the next five years? Over the next five years? Well, a lot depends on what happens with the regulatory structure that takes shape. But... Uh, you know, hard to bet against flour, but I think a, a vape is a is a much more palatable, easy, scalable, easier, less intimidating entry point to for the next consumer who's coming into the cannabis space. An aspect about your business that you were personally skeptical of that has grown faster and better than you anticipated. Um, possibly the retail side. What aspect of your business keeps you up at night? All of it. A message to retail investors that have been burned in the past. Oh, it's got to be a long-term investment. When regulatory or legislative change is needed, you've got to be willing to stick it out. This is not a get-rich-quick uh, opportunity. If you could put anything on a billboard, metaphorically speaking, to get a message to billions of people, could be an image, quote, word, or something that inspired you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Huh. First thing that comes to mind is the obstacle is the way. What is one fact about the cannabis industry that would shock or surprise people in the industry? 280E. Most don't know about it. It's hard, it's hard to fathom. You, you, can't, you, you can't understand what it means to have a business that can't take deductions. It just, you can't wrap your head around it. No, no but nobody can. Five years from now, what has your team accomplished? The team has, has fulfilled the vision of Cresco vision was to be the most important company in cannabis. And I, I think we will five years from now, you'll be looking at Cresco going, that was the most important company in cannabis. When you got started in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? Uh, what did I get right? Is that uh, responsible plus respectable is how you get to robust. Uh, what did I get wrong? Uh, I, I probably underestimated how challenging this industry would end up being but i'm all right with that too all right prediction time charlie in the future how will cresco's data-centric approach inform strategies when entering new markets and specifically is there one data point that stands out above the others uh so at the very very first step of whether or not you get into a market it's going to be a data-led decision and say part two of it 
what is there a specific data point that that stands out above the rest? Yeah, it, it needs to be the economic viability of the market structure. Uh, there needs to be a structure that allows for success to happen. Love it. Kellen. Um, I would say it's going to be, I can't take his answer, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think honestly, it'll be in the future. I'm thinking like 20 years from now, right? I think that the decision will most likely be deciding what form factor will be most important to enter a marketplace with, right? And with that being said, I think that it'll be end up being like national average. The most important data point will be like national average in terms of what form factor is consumed has a, the, the largest market share, I guess, would be the most strategic way to go about it, right? So when I say form factor, I'm talking like a drink or gummy or, or another kind of um, way to consume THC. What do you think, Brian? I think originally the map slide was extremely popular amongst MSOs. And I think as things develop, you'll see kind of the geographic reach from the big hubs and facilities like you have in Chicago. I think the ability to reach the surrounding areas eventually when we adjust some of the rules and you have the ability to do interstate commerce in whatever path it goes or however that ends up, I think that'll be the most critical factor for the ability to reach various things. Amazon has it now. They've got these various hubs that allows them to reach just endless consumers. And I think that is going to be the critical differentiator as we go from where we are today to, let's say, next five to 10 years. So, Charlie, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to buy Cresco Lab stock. Where can they find you? Crescolabs.com. It's our website. Awesome. We'll link it up the show. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you both for having me. This was terrific. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we, we break, break it all down. down.